this uh, sermon's been on my heart for probably at least a month, if not a little longer. And, you know, I was on my way here tonight, and uh, I got to thinking about some of the things that I said, and it has to do with living in the gray. Um, I don't know, there are probably a few of you guys in here that have come here, you started to worship here, you were saved here, and then you went to a different church, and then you ended up coming back. Now, I didn't end up going to a different church, but I went and I actually was trying to be the pastor, and man, was it gray. Um, the thought, the... The scripture that comes to mind is where Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea. I think it's Laodicea. You know, he says, you shouldn't be, or you either need to be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And this is probably one of the hardest, I guess, not hard for me to study. It's really a simple topic. I could probably give you a sermon in about five minutes. And I think everyone in here would get the gist of the sermon. But some of the most aggressive language in the Bible is to this topic. The, the scripture I'm going to read is actually out of Matthew 16, 13 through 15. It's when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? But back to the living in the gray, when I was there at this other church, it was so gray. I saw so much hypocrisy that it made me want to vomit. It made me angry. And I wanted to take a second to say thank you for this church. Thank you for not being gray. You know, we're not perfect, but I can tell you this, we're not, we're not gray. But, now, let's, uh, let's read uh, Matthew 16, 13 through 15. Man, I'm going to have to start getting some glasses. Says, uh, and when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Or excuse me, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, This is the one that is important. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to come and preach. Lord, I ask that uh, you would use me to, to speak to these people. Lord, I, I looked out in the crowd and I, I see a lot of people that I know. Well, I think I know they're saved. But I know that there are some people in here that Right now, Lord, they're, they're living in the gray. 
And Lord, I just ask that you would gently and lovingly remind them that it's not a good place to be. Lord, I ask that if there would be anybody that is not saved, Lord, that you would bring them tonight. Lord, I ask that you would be honored and glorified in the words that you've given me to speak. Help me, Lord, to get out of the way. I love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. So, most of us in here are pretty, pretty much adults and we've experienced life. And we know that in our society, in our country, we live in the gray. When it comes to, no matter what it is, education, very gray. No kid left behind, right? It's okay to be a failure. We'll just slap you on the, uh, the behind and we'll move on. It's okay, right? That's gray. Financial. Let's live beyond our means because somebody's willing to give you something that you can't afford. That's gray. Raising kids. It's no longer legal for me to spank my kids in public. But yet, we sit and we wonder why we have the problems that we have. That's gray. I was shocked when I did the research. Gallup did a study or a poll polling the United States, and it said that 77% of the United States claim to be Christian. I would, I would say 15% are real, honest, born-again Christians. There's a lot of gray. Um, there's a stor- There's stern warnings for those of you that are riding the fence. That's not saved. You cannot claim with your mouth that you love Jesus and live like the devil. and expect him to honor his promises. Because those promises are not to that person. But that's exactly how we live as a culture in this country. From the time we're little to the time we die. Men, I can speak specifically to, we're taught that we are not to rely on anybody. That we are to be self-motivated. We are to be our own man, and to need help from anybody is, mm, it's pitiful. Most of, most of the way that our culture runs, which, by the way, remember, 77% Christian, right? Flies in the face of what Jesus teaches. Life is short, guys. I just went to a funeral, what was it? It was Friday. I was thinking it was Saturday, but I knew it was somewhere around there. Short. He was what, mid-twenties? Now, he didn't live a, a very wonderful life, but it was, and gone. I've done it several times, and I looked up the... Um, 
the death rate for glo the globe. And right now, the death rate for the globe is 1.8. That could go up depending on national, or not national, uh, catastrophe, stuff like that affects it. But right now, it's at 1.8 persons, almost two, die every second. So in the time that I've been talking thus far, everybody in here is already dead and gone. In one 24-hour period of time, 150,000 people die every day. In a year's time, 56 million people die every day or every year. This is not a topic to joke around with. And I'm telling you right now, if you are on the fence and you have no if you don't know for a fact that you are Jesus's and he is yours, you need to get off the fence and you need to come in the light. There is no salvation for those that are on the fence and straddle it, wanting to live in the light but also in the dark because they like what they like and they want to feel like they have a little fire um, insurance card. It is not a, a get-out-of-jail-free card to say, I follow Jesus. You can say it till the cows come home and you don't own any, and it will do you no good if you are not truly following Christ. That's living in the gray. Jesus calls us to walk in the light and in truth. And we must be vigilant about following Him. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at it. Lord knows I'm not perfect. I know Joplin's not. But the thing is, is when we fall, we stop, we fall, we get up, we dust ourselves off, we ask for forgiveness, and we move on. And the thing that separates a true born-again Christian and a not true born-again person that claims Christianity is that feeling that there is something wrong when I sin. If you feel comfortable in here tonight in your life of sin, I would read your, your Bible some more. I would start feeling a little more uncomfortable if I were you. And if you are truly born again and you have become comfortable, stop it! You must get up and move on. You must. You need to ask for forgiveness. He's faithful to forgive you. <clears throat> you have to be careful what you watch. You have to be careful what you listen to. You know, the thought, I was telling Joplin last week, I think, the thought that comes to my mind is a big old huge bass drum. It's just banging all the time, nonstop, 24-7. That is the images, the, the music, the language, the fallen nature of mankind beats on you like a bass drum all the time. And then all of a sudden you hear this little, ah, it's probably not on, but you hear this little <laughs> twice a week. That's your church. Now I wonder, 
Could there be a reason why you might struggle if all you ever hear is the bass drum? If the only time you hear that little is two times a week, you're in trouble. Your walk as a Christian will struggle. You will fall. You will fall. You must be vigilant. You need to be in the Word. You need to be listening to the Word. You need to be eating it. Talking with your kids about it. Our mind is a battlefield as well. You must be vigilant about protecting your mind. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4.8 to think on the things which are noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Man, them things sound really good, don't they? Have you ever noticed that when you're thinking on one thing, you can't think on another? You think that God knows what He's doing when He says you must think on these things? Why would He tell you to think on those things? Because when you're thinking of these, you're not thinking of the other stuff. The chains that drag you back down. That's, it's a battlefield. You have to be vigilant. You have to make yourself... I, I'm human. I don't wake up every morning going... Woo, Jesus! I want to, but I don't. I have to physically make myself do it sometimes. I have to physically stop my mouth when I'm mad. I have to walk away. Those, that's being vigilant. That's putting a hedge in front of you. It would be foolish if you were walking out in the... Uh, the desert into some plateaus where, you know, there could be a huge ravine and you live around there and you don't put hedges up to warn you that you're getting ready to fall off the edge. You need to be vigilant. But the most important question that everybody in here and everybody on earth that has lived and will ever live, will ever answer is, who do you say that I am? Even if you choose not to answer that question, by default you're answering that question. What are you going to do with Jesus? You need to know who he is. Someday, I promise you, even if you don't answer it here, you're going to know who he is. And you will be bowing before him. And those of you that keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and say, I just heard it last night. And it breaks my heart and makes me mad all at the same time. I just can't believe because I'm not sure. Well, okay. But I just can't understand why he would punish me for, for this. And I said, well, I think there is a reason why it says on that day when you're judged, there will be gnashing of teeth and weeping. Because I think that God will remind you 
as an unsaved person of every single time he ever tried to get you to come to him over and over and over and over and over he tried and each time you said stiff arm God I'm doing just fine by myself some people say I'm doing good now but then they have something go wrong and they come running to God and then as soon as they get back on their feet they're gone again Stiff-arming God. There will be wailing because they will see for the first time in their life how many times God did try and say, I love you. Come to me. So, now on to my sermon. <laughs> I'm kidding. Man, I cracked myself up. Okay, so in order to answer that question, who do you say that I am, you must first know who he is or who he's not. You must make sure that the one that you're naming is the authentic Jesus of the Bible. This book right here has one main function. Anybody want to take a shot at it? It is not to make your life better. Well, let me recant on that. It is not to make your life more wealthy. It is to make it saved. This book from cover to cover is to reveal Jesus Christ. That's it. It also, in between revealing Jesus Christ, reveals your problem. And yes, you have a problem. It also in there reveals Jesus Christ as your fix. Anything outside of that, you better do some studying. Because it might be just opinions. But the authentic Jesus, you must have an authentic Jesus. Let me give you an example. And I know for a fact that these, or at least two of these, are included in that 77% of Christians. Mormons believe that Jesus is the brother of Satan. They name the name of Jesus Christ, but he ain't the, that's not the Jesus I know. Jesus created Satan. Jesus is God. Jehovah's Witnesses, they deny the deity of Jesus. Not only that, but they say that Jesus was created by God. The sad part is, people, they read the same Bible we do. Where do they get that? You must be sure that it's an authentic Jesus. Islam believes that Jesus was just a prophet. Did you know that in all the major religions that Jesus Christ was the only one to ever claim to be God? Now what do you do with that? 
Who do you say he is? Because if he's claiming that he's God, there are two outcomes. Either A, is God, or B, he's a liar. Which one is it? The majority of the world doesn't believe that he's God. But you must be sure who he is. That's why he asked that question. Second thing, let's look at who Jesus is according to the Bible, which, by the way, he is the Word. The Word is our Bible. He wrote it. He was the author. He's the creator. He's the healer. He's the Savior. I looked it up, and in the New Testament, yes, in the New Testament, there were over 200 names and titles for Jesus alone. You think they wanted to get a a point across? All these things he is. He's the Lamb of God. He was the one time, once for all, sacrifice for all of mankind's sins. And when he finally did die for all the sins, he is now the possessor of all of our sins. And will be able to righteously judge you because he is now paid for your sins. That you can find that about the Lamb of God in John 1.36. It actually, I'm not going to read it, but it actually is where John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. That has references to the Old Testament. Yes, he was in the Old Testament too. All over it. He was the Son of God. You can find that in Luke 22.70. And he was God, or he is God, excuse me. John 14, 9. Let me read that one real quick. Jesus said to him, he's talking to Philip, I've been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen, excuse me, seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show, show us the Father? He is one with the Father. There are multiple places you can look it up where he claims to be God. Who do you say he is? When you answer that question as a lost person, it has eternal ramifications that go along with it. If you answer it, he's a prophet, you're missing the mark. It has been notated, not just in the Bible, that he did miracles. It's, it's out there. It was widely known and accepted in his time that he did miracles. 
It's just now that we have trouble accepting that in our culture because we want it to not be true. I want it to be true. I know it's true. But he came to save you. As a person that is saved, the Christian, he asks you that same question every day. On a daily basis, on a secondly basis sometimes. You know, we live life, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's just rotten. You know, I've got kids, and I'd like to tell you my kids are, are perfect, but I'm pretty sure every one of you guys has seen my kids, and they're not. <laughs> to deal with life, you answer that question. You're going through, my mom just had cancer. Who do you say that I am, Bob? I asked him for healing. Why did I ask him for healing? Because he's the healer. I just lost my job. God, I need a job. Why did I ask him for a job? I didn't lose my job. Because he's the provider. He asks that on an everyday basis. And both ways, whether you're a Christian or whether you're lost, you can say it with your mouth, but your feet will walk it out. One way or the other, just like Jesus. He claimed it. Only two outcomes. You'll either live it out, or you won't, and you'll just speak it. There are the scriptures that I said, there are a few of them that are very harsh um, in regards to this concept or this precept. One of them is, I can't remember where it's at, I just remember what it says. It says, your lips, you, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Is anybody in here? Go ahead, Chris, come on up. Anybody in here that uh, maybe struggles with that? I struggle with that. And I, I know I'm a born-again Christian. The other one that scares me, I think it's the scariest verse in the whole Bible, and it's Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And it identifies people coming to Jesus in the end days claiming, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we do many things in your name? And the scariest thing is, is they know him as Lord. He, he turns to him and he says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, for I never knew who you were. As a Christian, I'm telling you that that scripture should scare the snotwads out of you. Because it, it could be you. 
Are you truly following out what your lips say? Or are you just giving lip service? I'll invite you guys to come. If, if you need to come, come tonight. If you need to be saved, get with me. Get with Joplin. Get with God. Empty, empty all your heart out. Let Him have it. It's not like He doesn't know what you're thinking anyways. Let Him have it. And see, who, see what happens. But if you're, if you're just stiff-arming Him, man, stop. You don't know for a fact that you will get up out of your chair and walk out of that door into your car before you die. That's one of the reasons why I said life is a vapor and gave you how many people died in a, in a, a day. You have no idea when you will take your last breath. The guy that we went to his funeral, Joplin had it right. We have hope that he was saved because he had at least 20 to 30 minutes before he died. But die, dying he was. There was no going back. That was the only time that he probably actually sat and thought, God, I need you now more than I've ever needed you before. Because this life is about to end and I know it. Don't gamble your soul on 20 minutes. <laughs>